Hello, and welcome back to another week of the DP World Tour Picks and Bets. Skylar Hoke is here, Tom Jacobs. We now know the Ryder Cup squad for the European team after an amazing victory by Ludwig Aberg yesterday. Uh, what are your thoughts on the roster? What are your thoughts on the Omega European Masters uh, this past weekend? So I think thoughts on the uh, European Masters is we were unfortunate um, with Bjork and Alex Fitzpatrick, right? Like I feel like we had couple of good chances up there. Um, so that's the first. Second, really pleased for Aberg. Like the one knock I've been giving him the whole way along is that like he has three good ones and one bad one. And this time he, he kind of transformed there, right? Like he actually grew into the event, which I really liked. Uh, I think he got better every single round, which is something you want to see and sort of save your best until last, I guess. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I love the fact that he played himself onto the team because I think he was listening to what Lou Donald said earlier about how impressed he was with him at the Rocket Mortgage and what he did last week. I think he was probably going to pick him anyway. And I think there would have been way more of a stir if he didn't win this week than there is. Like, I think once he won, everyone was like, okay, that's fine. Like, he's on. Um, so I think the biggest question came down to how do you leave Adrian Moronk out? Um, and that was by taking Sepp Stracker and Nikolai Hoygaard, right? Um I had my comments about Shane Lowry and, and you know, I stand by them. I, I don't think that, I don't think he was ever going to be off the team. That wasn't the, kind of the point of my tweet. I think he was always going to be on it. I just think that he's very fortunate to be on it. Um, I get that the data kind of suggests that he should. And, and obviously they're a data-driven team, so fine. Um, do you take Sepp Tracker over Moronk, I think is probably the question. Because Nikolai is the course winner as well as Moronk. But Moronk has been first and second at that golf course. He's won three times since the qualifications, or at least since the last Ryder Cup. Um, he's probably, well, we'll come on to this in a minute, I think going to have a good title defence. So I get, like, I guess he just didn't do enough. Like ultimately, like there was a point during the, the, the European Masters where he could have actually got that final spot. He was actually ahead of McIntyre. So actually, the real, probably the real damning thing, and this won't go down particularly well with some people, like it's probably McIntyre getting on automatically is probably what's caused the problem. Because I think if Moronk had gotten automatically and McIntyre missed out, it, I don't really care. I don't think this is a conversation. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the the point. I know there was conversation either that Bob could have been on the roster without it. I, I would have been hard pressed to see them pick him over over Moronk. And I think they would have done again, which is what concerns me. But like. At least then you can almost, you almost can be outraged. Like there is nothing about that team today that you can be outraged about. Like I don't, like I don't think you can go. I'm outraged that Sepp Stracker is picked above Moronk. Where you go, okay, well he literally won. He's finished second and seventh for the last two majors. I get that he probably hasn't been as committed to making the team as others, but he's a birdie maker, right? I I do think Moronk is very hard done by. Like what? So you ask the guy to finish first and second at the golf course and win three times, and that's not enough. Like, he shot himself in the foot, like Ben Cody put it well on, on Twitter. Like, he shot himself in the foot by going over to the PGA Tour. But that feels uh, problematic. Like, so you're basically saying it, he was at fault for splitting his time across two tours and trying to chase the PGA Tour card. He might as well have just committed to more PGA Tour stuff then. Like... I think he played half and half because he felt that was good for his Ryder Cup chances. Mathematically, it wasn't. He was obviously poorly advised, but like, 
I think he thought he was doing the right thing and, and it's kind of been shy in the foot. Well, what's kind of interesting though, when I when I that angle is talked about, is he has a PGA tour card right now because he's gonna be one of the top ten guys in the DP yeah. World Tour, right? So yeah. I mean Bob he sh- deserves to just show, played full year. Yeah. Right? Bob Bob took that and, and just stayed home, declined events. And I guess as hard as we have been on McIntyre. I'm extremely excited to see him in this element yeah. because of people that I have a chip on their shoulder and, and rise up to the occasion. He has on more than anybody else. I think that's really where, um, I mean, we made kind of selections of what we thought last week and, and mine ended up aligning with how it worked out, leaving Moronk off. And it's just in the big time events, I haven't felt that Moroc has made himself no. in the mix as much as the other guys have. And and I think that's because he's been in and out. I think that's the issue. Like I think I think if he had committed fully to the PJ Tour or vice versa, he'd have been fine. Um I think I think the argument many people will be like, oh it, like is it a lack of ambition to have just stuck on the DP World Tour? Like I think Bob did it before, didn't do very well on the PJ Tour and and learned from that lesson and came back, right? Like and I think Moronk is always going to take that opportunity. Like, because if he wins on the PJ Tour, which was definitely in the realm of possibility at some point during this season, it's all taken care of. Because he gets the pick, probably, if he doesn't get on the, the points list. He has his PJ Tour card, regardless of that. He's going to get that anyway from the top 10, right? But, like, I think he just believed in himself so much that he thought he could contend on the PJ Tour, and he didn't. So, is that a negative Possibly. I, I think at the end of the day, like I won't lose sleep over Hoygaard being there over Moronk or Stracker being there over Moronk. I just, I can see, like there is nobody else that's missed out that I think can go, I was hard done by. It's just him. Well, because the other thing to me, <clears throat> in the course history angle of, of Marco Simone, like Moronk won when he was basically the favorite, right? I mean, yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't the entire Ryder Cup team there. Right? Yeah. Looking back on odds, Nikolai was eighteen, finishes fifth, eighteen to one. Moronk was nineteen to one, finishes you know wins the event. Rasmus and Bob, the, it it was an everyday run of the mill DP World Tour event. And I, and I think it, he missed the cut the year that Rory and Fitz and that. Correct, the year that it was actually rel- like a little bit more pumped up. And then when he finished second, none of those guys were there again in, in 21, right? So I, I think I think what it is like, and look, I get the strength of schedule and strength of field size argument always in these conversations. I completely understand it. But in my head, I'm just sitting there thinking, like, realistically, Europe are going to go maximum matches for Rory, Ram, Victor, Fleetwood, Hatton, I guess, right? Aberg, Aberg, Aberg is going to play. I imagine. I think. I think he's going to play five. So, like, do you? Does it really matter? Is the first question. Like, they're going to play like one match, and they're probably not going to win their singles anyway because they're going to be the underdog. In my head, I'm just sitting there thinking, like, my argument is like, if we lose, which, according to the odds, suggests we should, right? And there's a lot of discourse about that. If we lose, do we sit there and go, ah, if Shane Lowry was here, we'd have won? And I think the answer is no. So the fact that he just had this kind of automatic pick, like he was blatantly told three months ago that he was in, I think. Like, 
I think that's what kind of rubs me, rubs me the wrong way a little bit. He never played Marco Simone, even in that year that Rory and Fitz played it, he didn't play it. So there is nothing about Shane Lowry that suggests to me that he'll be good at Marco Simone. Like he's not even the off the tee prowess that he's been over the course of the season right now. So that concern, like if I was to take Moronk versus Shane Lowry, Moronk versus Stracker at Marco Simone right now, I'd pick Moronk, like in a head to head. So Shane Lowry needs to be a really important partner for someone. And maybe they think he's going to run it back with Hatton and be a great partner for him. And if that's what they think, and that's what Hatton wants, then that's where the importance of that pick comes in, right? But like just from a pure, if you're looking at course figures and current form things, I don't see how you pick Lowry over Morong. It wasn't even Lowry over Morong, but like you leave Morong out and then don't answer the questions about those other four guys, I think, or three guys that were fortunate to get overhead of them. Yeah, it would have been it would have been pushback no matter. I think the angles it really would have been the, the loudest would have been leaving Lowry off the team. Yeah, like, struggle, right? like I th- I think as much as I'm sitting here advocating for Lowry potentially being lucky, I don't know how I'd react if he was just left off. Like I think I, I think I'd still go. I can't believe you've left Lowry off for Stracker or you've left Lowry off for Hoygaard. I think it would just trickle down, right? So I d- I don't know that I I just think that my kind of take on it was it was kind of him I felt that he was very similar to Justin Thomas in the fact that like they were always going to pick him regardless and Justin Thomas has got this massive bank of Ryder Cup and President's Cup form every single time he's gone out there he's kind of performed and done well and been a really good partner and been a really good singles player and Shane Lowry hasn't done that and he doesn't have a great match play record so that is what that's my argument for that um but negativity aside on Shane Lowry, I hope he plays five matches, gets five points. That'd be great. Um, he is definitely the type of person that can rally a team. He's obviously popular in the dressing room. That's why he's there. Or locker room, so that's why he's there. Right. Um, does Nikolai play other than the singles? I, I think I think everyone's going to... I mean, they gave Burn like multiple events. In but he was playing right? well before that, right? I mean, I do. I think they're going to throw these guys out there. Like, yeah. I think Bob of anybody will be the one to play one, one match. And I still don't think he will. I bet they all play at least two. And I just, and I just yeah, fair enough. And I just wonder, like, so then I think the next question is, who partners who? So to me, it's very obvious. You just go Rory and Aberg. Like, he is a... He is a rookie. You need him to go with an experienced player, and it would be electric. I think I advocated for Rory and Hovland last time. Yep. The most. Like, I'd like it to be Rory and Aberg again. I'll Ram, first send him out first, yep. Yeah, like, Ram isn't going to get Sergio, so who goes with him? I guess that's the next question. Well, if you think Hatton Lowry is going to stay, yeah. then... I, I, I want... Like, yeah. Which doesn't really seem to make... I think it would actually be, probably be Fleetwood, Lowry, Hatton... Rom. I want Sep to be with somebody that can like fill it up and birdie birdies and yeah. bunches, you know, and, and kind of go that route. Like, so he's going to be a four ball player, right? Like, there's not really much. Yeah, I don't think to having him in foursomes. Like, I would agree. I think it's just right. Let's see if you can make a birdie on this hole when I can't type thing. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so I don't know if you put him with like. I couldn't even imagine him and Ram in a group, but like no, but I think that's probably the most natural. Kind of fit, the both these kind of Europeans are not really Europeans that can both kind of do the same thing. I I think. Um, 
I think what we've done is we've probably picked the right players. I just don't know how it's going to work. And I think that's the, like before you always had this kind of like Luke Donald play with Sergio. And then when Luke Donald was out of the team, it was Sergio and Ram. And then it was kind of like, but like Lowry with Rory was this kind of obvious partnership. And they lost like four and three to Harris English and Tony Finau. So like the most obvious things don't seem to work. Like, I just think that's like Fleetwood and Molinari. And like, I get the why their skill sets merge so well, especially on that course. But like, I wouldn't necessarily have put them together at the start of the week. So you need yeah. to find that partnership that you go, okay, it wasn't obvious, but it now makes sense retrospectively. And this is what the result was. So look, I am just excited now. Um, it's a great team. It's a good mix of veteran presence and thing which is ultimately what he's done with picking rose and lowry right so yeah as much as what i'm saying about lowry people will say about rose i have arguments against that again with the six rider cups and how he's played in all of them but he's, he's played so much better this year too i think and just been, and just been great in rider cups like he's played six of them yeah. and he's, he's consistently delivered two plus points like yeah. i know two plus isn't great in the last couple but like three four in times and um i wonder who he'll partner with like, is he the type of person that gets a striker? I don't know. Like, it, it's it's weird. Yeah. I thought Luke said something interesting about Sep when I don't think of his game that way. One, they thought the world of the Hero Cup. He mentioned the Hero Cup with, yeah, like, every, I, every I thought, player. Like, I don't I, know if that's just, like, a marketing thing. Yeah, it might be. It might be. But he said Sep's a great driver of the golf ball, yeah. which – Right. Like that's not the first thing that I think of with, with Sepp, but what he is, he's very accurate. He might be one of the more accurate guys now on the team. So is that a subtle hint that they are going to really like, you know, uh, Open Day France, what, Le Golf National, that type of style again, this yeah. course, if they can get to that to this degree where yeah. it really matters and Sepp can can play into that. I don't know. It's just an interesting comment when I don't think yeah, of Sepp as it did kind that of, guy. Kind of piqued my interest because I think of him as just this kind of like great short iron player that just can make birdies out of nowhere. Right? Yeah, like, I, I mean, think he's that's... really good with his irons. His irons spike like crazy, but he hasn't lost the field accuracy since the and RBC heritage. He, he actually gained strokes in almost, I think he's like four events since the start of 2023 where he's not gained off the tee. Yeah, so he struggles chipping. He's not, you know, he's like, not wrong, right? Like he's, he, is, no. he actually probably is like... So then does he put him with a Rose who's pretty good around the greens at times? Like, it's an interesting one. Um, it's a hard job, and that's what they, that's why they're employed to do it. Um, I'm excited. I, I, look, I, yeah. I had my kind of thoughts. I think Moronk is very unfortunate, but you have to leave someone out. And I think the best thing that I can say about it is, like, the conversation six months ago was who on earth is going to help us? Like, yes, oh my God, like, like it might be Rye, it might be Seamus Power, and now all of a sudden it's like we've got an embarrassment of riches for this kind of 12th pick. So um, yep. it's a good problem to have. Yep, agreed. All right, 15 minutes in, we can transition over <laughs> to the week ahead of us, but want to make sure first we give a shout out to our audio listeners. You can find us at Daily Fantasy Sports, Picks and Bets, The Mix, uh, on YouTube at Mayo Media Network. Like, review, uh, subscribe, all, all um, the different things you can do to support us on both of the platforms. Last week, Tom, doing the betting in DFS preview, 
it was one of our biggest weeks of the entire year. And that was because probably, you know, there wasn't a, a ton else in the sports world happening. So we got the big prize pools, 100K to first, 20K to first, and a higher dollar one. Um, and they've repeated that this week. We have a 50K to first contest um, and then another 20K. So I'm excited to see that. But one thing that is going to catch a little bit more of eyeballs this week is the NFL is back. I'm supporting my Run the Sims hat here. Um, you can use promo code Mayo over at our friend Justin Freeman's site, Run the Sims. Um, they've unleashed their their new contest, Sims, which is the Sim Runner Pro. Um, huge fan of that site and the limited football knowledge that I know they make things so much easier. So supporting uh, Mayo Media Network with that partnership of Run the Sims, promo code Mayo for that um, will go a long way as football kicks off here um, in the States this week. But we are still focused uh, for us on the stretch run up to the Ryder Cup. And this week is the Irish Open at the K Club. So we talked about weaker fields of interesting fields of what it could be. This week is we're seeing the the loaded up of the European side. Rory McIlroy, Tyrrell Hatton. Shane Lowry, even have Adam Scott, Tom Hoagie, Billy Horschel coming over. Uh, you know, you have Samus Power um, supporting kind of in his home event. Ryan Fox, there's so many golfers uh, that you don't get a typical week. So I think it's going to be very interesting from a DFS angle. We're going to preview that tomorrow myself with Ryan Bearoff in Axis. Uh, we're going to do that tomorrow. But today we're going to focus on the betting just like we did Last week, um, you and I and came awfully close. Like you said, I think we had a couple more uh, back nine birdies in us, and it could have been uh, some victories and maybe changed up the Ryder Cup team. But um, let's talk about the K Club. We haven't seen this since 2016, uh, former Ryder Cup venue. It's the Palmer North course. What are your thoughts uh, on the way to attack this week? Yes, it's weird. Like the Irish Open is one of those ones that just doesn't want to go back to like a true links test. Like it just keeps coming back to these inland links. And I'm I'm fine with it. Like I think we see enough links golfing, kind of Dunhill links, open, Scottish open, right? I think I think they've probably looked at it and just thought that. Um I think it's just all about greens and regulations and, and accuracy, strokes can approach, right? I think like obviously what you do off the tee is important as it is every week, but I think it's negated somewhat and brings kind of the whole field in. Um and I think it's just generally, you know, fire at these pins, make the birdies that you need to make, uh, stay out of trouble. Look, the last three winners on this golf course have led the field in greens and regulations. So Rory McIlroy in 2016 at the Irish Open, and then Kenny Ferry and Philip Price in the um, European Open back in the day. So, you know, there, there has been people that have won with, with poor greens and regulations. Westwood did it when typically great greens and regulation players actually just putted really well so i think the stats could be slightly skewed there um but i i think ultimately what we're looking for sky is someone that has generally done well on these irish open layouts are not the links ones um you know and just impressed you know like the lucas Herbert's, the, the people like that um made from ronk last year right I, I think that former form in ireland in the irish open in particular is ultimately what you're looking for, regardless of, of which course. Um, I think it holds up pretty well. Yeah. Um, not much to add in the green. I love that green and regulation step, focusing on irons. Um, it isn't the true links test I would have loved to, to see. I can think vividly of that Lucas Herbert win a few years back um, in some conditions and, and playing so well. Um, but 
no, it's fun. We always do get these Ryder Cup venues kind of coming back over to um, what the Belfry kind of reminds me somewhat. We've seen some correlation leaderboards. I know you were tracking a little bit of corollary leaderboards too. Is there any courses um, for you that, that jump to comparison? Yeah, weirdly, Crans. Like there's just there's just a ridiculous amount of layover. And I don't know if it's just similar times a year or just the high quality players that, you know, have done it in the past. But Bradley Dredge, um, had finished second here in 2016. He'd won at Crans. Graham Storm second at both. Westwood won at both. Constantina Rocco had won at Crans second here. Bjorn won at Crans second here. Jimenez won at Crans second here. Uh, Barry Lane second here won at Crans. Uh, Matthias Gromberg, winner of both Crans and the European Masters here. Um, Pair Jurek Johansson, two-time winner here, back to back, and then fourth at Crans. Um, so. For whatever reason, it's stood up pretty well. I don't know necessarily there's anything to it, but I think it's the same kind of formula, right? Like hit it close, make the birdies. Um, Rory won uh, 12 under by three strokes. So that will give you kind of an insight as to, to what's kind of expect scoring wise. I don't think it'd be too dissimilar. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think there's, there's something in that. It helps that it was last week. I think that ultimately if you're just playing well and hitting your irons well, you'll be able to take advantage of this golf course. Yep. Yep. Totally agree uh, with you. When you look at the odds boards, this isn't something we've seen. Man, when's the last Rory McIlroy DP World Tour event, right? He's, he's plus 320 is the best spot. Yeah, I guess that was back in um, like the Middle East swing, like when he yeah, beat, when he beat Reed. Reed, right? So just seeing three to ones um, is a little bit of stark change. I almost even felt that way that you know maddie fitzpatrick kind of owned an odds board last week uh, mm. but really seeing somebody at three to one um jarring to start you know us from a betting perspective i think i'm going to lean a little bit more into the places for my card as we go um along just due to the star studdedness right you have rory at plus i guess 350 is the longest hatton you can get him 11 to 1 scott 22 minwoo 20 lowry is also 20 to 1 those guys command the market up top but we're choosing to lay off those guys. But we can dig into them tomorrow um, on the DFS show, which one when the salaries are released. But your betting cart starts just beyond there. Uh, you're going with the 13th man, Tom. Tell us why Edwin Marat can repeat. Yeah, like it'd be very easy for me just to say, like, I'm betting him because he's going to stick it to Luke Donald and the European Ryder Cup team. I, I think that is definitely part of it. I think when you looked at his story he posted with good luck, European Ryder Cup on a black screen, seems pretty like he's pissed. Um, I happen to think he was potentially told he was going to be on it and then Abo just did what he did and that might be what happened. I feel like he probably always knew with Bjorn in the vice captaincy that Hoygaard was going to get that pick and he just assumed he'd be the other guy. And um, I think you can be a bit scorned by it. Like we saw it with Freddie Couples and Cam Young. Like sometimes there's some miscommunication, right? So I think there's potentially something to do with that. Um, But... He was inside the top seven in greens and regulation for three of his four rounds last week. He was 15 strokes going approach. Three of his four rounds were really good. And his Irish Open form is 10th miscut first. Um, so just based on that, just on how well he hit the ball last week, the fact that he plays really well in Ireland, uh, he has won. This is the first title of his three that he's going to try and defend. So we haven't got any prior knowledge to say he's not great at defending titles or whatever. I think he potentially do very well. Look, the... The conversation turns, Sky, I guess, when we talk about the fact that he's been pretty poor in majors. And when we talked about that one, Marco Simone, where he missed the cut, was when kind of Rory and Fitz and that kind of came along. And that's the concern that he hasn't yet shown 
that he can step up in that kind of field. I think this is where it changes. I, I think that this is the first time he's kind of come in knowing that this is the type of event that he can win. He has won it in the past. Yes, Roy McIlroy is going to be there. I think Roy McIlroy has got other things on his plate. He's got the Ryder Cup to look forward to. He's got kind of, I don't know if he still hosts it, but he's definitely obviously going to be a big part of it if he doesn't host it. Um, Moronk hasn't got a vice captain to impress anymore. That bit's done. So freewheeling a little bit. Um, it's time for him to get back to his game. And I think he can definitely contend for the win again this week. Yeah. I, I'm i nervous in, in the sense that the Ryder Cup is was everything in this moment. There's there's nothing ahead of this, right? He yeah. has a PGA Tour card wrapped up. He has – it's just pure spite, or is it like I'm pulling yeah. the plug and I'm done? You know, yeah, like, I, I, think, I think the only thing I think with that is that, like, if he was pulling the plug and he was done, like, Nikolai's already pulled out this week. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why he wouldn't. So, like, I think there's definitely enough in him that goes, like, I'm really going to show you you made a mistake um, and you're going to put me on the team next time because this is how I react to it. Um, <laughs> look, it's all kind of hearsay until it happens, right? Like, I can sit and say what I said about Shane Lowry over the past, like, 10, 15 minutes at the start of the show, and then he wins either this week or, the, or Wentworth, and it's, it, it changes everything, right? So what you probably want now as a Ryder Cup, a European Ryder Cup fan, is Shane Lowry or or someone's a kind of win coming into this. Um, Rose maybe at Wentworth. I I just think Gronk is here still to prove that he can win, get you know take some winning form into the PJ Tour next season. Um, and prove that he is still one of these better players. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally understanding of of that angle. And I mean, at some point there has to be some self motivation of of. And yeah. you're you're showing up anyway, right? So if you're yep. going to do this, like there there is that side of it. So um, can see with him. For me, I, I'm still a bit down the board. Your next selection is. I've really debated. I guess there's two golfers that uh, one in particular that I was very, very close. And I guess not even if, if you made some type of point, could find room on the card. I really wanted to bet Billy Horschel on what we saw the last two yeah. events of the year. Um, why, why wouldn't we be at Horschel? You can get him as long as 45 to 1. Um, so if you compare him against some of the other guys, now he had an awful PGA Tour year, literally until yeah. the last last two events. So I guess that's the true reason why. But man, his, his irons upticked that last time out. Uh, if he, did, he was a, a bad putter away from, you know, beating Lucas Glover at that Wyndham Championship. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm a little worried he could be popular in DFS if it's a good price. So I don't get a, a like a sneaky play there. But, man, yeah. I'm close on Billy. Uh, he was the one I probably had three that I left out and he was probably the toughest one. Um, I just believe that when he comes over here, he's one of the better players and believes he's one of the better players and does it. Sneakily, I just hope he has a pretty average week, and then it's the same sort of price for Wentworth next week, where I know he can win. Um, yeah, I guess that's more his cup of tea. Yeah, like, but I guess if he's if he's good at Wentworth, he should be good at this type of course. Like it's yeah. you know similar sort of thing. So um, the the thing you're being asked is to take him this week, not knowing how good he's going to be in Ireland, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's fourteen to one next week because he played really well. So yeah. Um, Look, I think if you're a Billy Horschel fan, which I am, you should be seriously contemplating. If you're not going to play him uh, betting-wise, you should definitely look at him for DFS, which you can discuss tomorrow. But, um, yeah, everything points to him having a good week, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, 
I'm hard pressed right there. And I have have a spot. So we'll circle back as we go through it. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you keep running yourself down kind of the, the outright boards overall, I mean, you get into the range here of next would be, you know, I and there was the angle um, after you said Morocco's bite. Mackenzie Hughes uh, and Ryan Fox come to mind after not making the President's Cup team and then winning within like the next couple of starts. Okay. So there is that chip on the people's shoulder. Um, Bjork is back 33 to one. Uh, again, an iron test. He's another. He, it, he's, it could be. Yeah, he's the other. Like, I, I, like of the so the three people I, I left out were Horschel, him, and then your first pick. Um, okay. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you say on him. Um, but yeah, I think Bjork has done everything like that you could have expected from him, and he just isn't winning because Alex Bjork doesn't win right. So I think from a complete each way value from a DFS point of view, he should be definitely in lineups. I just Think that win equity, like what I saw from him when he was in the contention again this weekend, wasn't that promising. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we'll we'll run it over because there's pick of the litter in that 40s, 50s. It's way better than what it is normally on a week, yeah. right? You have Ryan there, you have Power in there, you have Tom Hoey in there, who I was also very close on because I think if you think of the some of the better iron players in the PGA Tour until the yeah. latter stretch of the of the la- of the PGA season, Hoey was that guy we get and we out, right? So. Uh, I think he's a very sneaky one that I'll talk about tomorrow um, if you get a good price. But it's hard for me to, to keep off, and I will be betting at 55 to 1 um, this week. What I think is, man, bang on, one of the best foreign players right now in the world, and that's Alex Fitzpatrick. Back nine in contention for what you'd probably say. I guess he, he wasn't not in the mix at the ISPS, right? Um, but this felt like his to to really get to and just bogey free on Sunday, but nothing on the back nine, not a single birdie um, really could have been the Aberg um, type of what ended up happening. And that aside, he's now, he's got to be breathing such a sigh of relief of what his life looked like two months ago and what he's turned into, right? He's got a full DP world tour card. No problem. He is now one of the better, probably if you had to power rank the top 10 guys next year to get a PGA tour card, he is in there and we're getting him at good prices in my opinion, still. Um, And at a course that isn't something that's going to be overpowered. I think it plays more into his favor. Once again, you mentioned Crans being a potential link. You know, Irons in, he's excellent. He's he's just, you know, middling off the tee almost always, if not losing to the field. Um, so to me, I, I just can't, when I look at that form, leave him off this week. Yeah, so the ultimate reason I did leave him off was that, and look, you, you have to consider that he played very well last week. He's the same price as last week. But with Roy McRoy, Tyrrell Hatton, Shane Lowry, Minwoo Lee, yeah. Ryan Fox, etc. in the field. So that's my one concern. I think the second concern was like, one of the reasons I picked him was that Matt Fitzpatrick was very definitely going to be involved in some description over the week. Yeah. And I felt that he would be comfortable in a situation where he had to take on his brother. And he didn't look it. Um, I know he wasn't paired exactly with him, but he was terrible off the tee the, like, when it really mattered. Um, yeah. That concerned me. Other than that, like I think as an overall player, as a when you look at like in you know the recent weeks, he's probably just Alexander Bjork, but without the kind of scar tissue. So he's been great, 
And I think the upside for Alex Fitzpatrick has definitely changed from what we well, I think we were always pretty high on him. But like, I think in, certainly in my head, he's elevated beyond what I thought last year. Um, so I think you're probably still getting value on him. I just worry that if he struggled in that sense with Matt there, why is he going to be any better with Rory or Hatton or whatever in the mix? Now, that obviously involves one of those two being in the mix for that to even matter um, is the first question. So if you don't think they're going to be in the mix, they're just kind of one eye on the Ryder Cup, then it doesn't really matter. I think if it comes down to Lowry, Mimouli, Scott's, you know, obviously been a while since he's really been in contention. Then you've got the kind of Rise and Bjorks. Like, I think he's fine against all of those. Um, to your point, like, is he going to be great against Billy Horschel head-to-head on a Sunday? Like, I still have slight concerns. So, whereas I think it's not panic stations like a Bjork who's showing it for 20 events that he can't get the job done, um, I was slightly concerned about the Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do get it. Um, I did focus on on adding points and placement um, as much as possible in the book that does offer six uh, each way places this weekend, one fifth the odds. Um, That's where the Fitzpatrick 55 is. And that's where actually all of my cards are this week because I'm just prioritizing place opportunity with that top of the leaderboard. And I think we have to um, when you have a Rory teeing it up. Yeah, like if if you're if you're a UK listener for this and you you know you you do like Fitzpatrick, just take the ten places and take forty to one or eight places and forty five to one. I I think he definitely represents value. I think when you put him against like a Dietrich or a Rosner or a Yannick Paul, we'll have the same kind of questions. I, I do like Jordan Smith to a certain extent, so like I'm intrigued by that one. But like, um, yeah, I, I think he he's he's rightfully where he is in the field and and should be there. So. Um, in terms of just course fit again, probably a good one. Yeah. Yep. Nope. Excited for him. Um, it is interesting also if you keep on the PGA Tour side. Vincent Norman is is teeing it up this week. You know, winner at the Barbasol, um, and he's deeper than than Alex Fitzpatrick um, this week. He has not missed a cut, I guess, since the Travelers. Um, they call him the Candyman, um, and and his you know iron play has been spiking i guess you could say fairly enough right it's not what i think of with him i think of him like i would love him teeing it up at that number at a course where you can let it rip like i think he's better in a typical irish open like what you think a links thing like if he comes to dunhill links i'd be really intrigued um he he has spite of his irons and that's what kind of like as soon as he won it was almost like everyone was off of him because they don't believe he's going to win two times in a season and that was when i kind of felt like i should take him and he wasn't great in those. Like I think he had like a middling finish again straight after twenty fifth or something like that. Like, yeah, I think he's a really high end talent who Agreed. just is probably in the wrong course, maybe. Like, but I don't think the Barbasol necessarily lined up as a perfect course for him either. So no. he's obviously overcome that. What? What's man? If you would have like asked me, well, I mean, we had the discussion on the show two years ago yeah. when him and him and Aberg were getting spot starts when they were both in college, right? I mean, I, I would have been right there with what norman was showing off the tee it, it was better than aberg at the time yeah. you know so um that was one thing that i didn't mention when we talked um ludwig is i should have not nah, i should have um happens or looking looking back to, is so easy but he has played well at courses where you wouldn't have anticipated it yeah. his his best finishes this year now omega 
Yep. Uh, and you liked it just the number purposes and like not getting a chance. But Omega, Wyndham, and John Deere have been his three best times of the year. So maybe his driver is just that good that when other people can't take advantage of it, right? Like he he's still I mean he he they said it today, right? Like and Justin Ray tweeted about it. Like he's potentially the number one driver in the entire world. So no matter where he goes, he might just be able to take these lines that people aren't doing. And I thought Norman was that guy two years ago. Yeah. No, and Donald, Donald said it in his thing about Abex. He said, yeah. look, if statistically if he played enough events, he's the best driver in the world. Like that's very clearly high on it and i look i i don't know like i think ava's probably gone to another level already than norman but like yeah is there going to be that much difference i think we, we had the conversation about like when nikolai and rasmus and everyone was so high on rasmus and i said like oh, i'll probably kind of i think you said it as well like it'll probably like find its level at some point and they'll probably be not too dissimilar like there's no reason to think that norman can't elevate his game um if anything he's taken the harder route uh, that's pretty unfair because Aberg's only really played PJ tournaments. But like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think he's got a great skill set. I just don't know if it's here. But like you say, it's been the case for Aberg. So, um, yeah, interesting to see. Sure. Um, that rounds. Uh, I guess, like I said, James Power is here too in this in this. Do area. we care about James Power anymore? No, no. Like, like, that he, one like, he, like literally, he might be the most disappointing person to have ever been in that race it was bad i mean i guess he got hurt right he won and then he got hurt yeah i think that's probably did he he hurt the whole time though was he just hurt for like one week and then we just give him an out like he was 13th for the john deere classic 19th for the byron nelson 18th for the wells fargo like he had a little stretch where he just ejected yeah, I'm trying to double check. Listed, he has actually withdrawn from the event too. Oh, there you go. That's great. So, so we don't we don't even need to discuss it. We don't it. Even need to worry about it. <laughs> Perfect. All right. It segues, um, it segues into when we start picking again. Yeah. You've got you've got a duo here before your favorite selection of the week. So why don't you go into those two? Yeah, look, I, I think Theobian Ellison was the last person I put on my card, but also potentially the one I'm kind of most intrigued by. Um, he's played in nine Irish Opens, and he's finished inside the top 18 in six of them. Three of those were top 10s, and one of them was at this course in 2016. So for whatever reason, he loves Ireland. He loved this golf course back in 2016. He's probably playing a little bit better than people think. Like he's had three top 25s in his last six starts. He was third at the halfway mark at the British Masters. 25th in a really strong field at the Scottish Open and then 10th going into the final round at the Czech Masters. So whilst he was only 40th last week, um, he actually led the field in greens and regulation. And it was ridiculous. Like I think he nearly hit 100% of greens in, in one of the rounds. So um, I'm really impressed with that just from a statistical standpoint. I think just from when I think of people that can step up, if we have our doubts about someone like wrong, I don't think we have those about Olison. Like he's shown over his career that he can step up in really strong fields he has done it multiple times and look he averaged 84 percent of greens um 77 percent 94 percent 83 percent 83 percent so all week he kind of lived um peppering those greens and obviously just obviously didn't hit it close enough because his strokes going approach numbers weren't incredible um normally that means you haven't hit it that close but um i i just think the way he's been playing is is slightly under the radar um and he's a winner 
and someone that's played very well in the Irish Open in the past. So Theorbian Olison for me, I think, is is a great pick. Yeah, you've been one to kind of just stick on him and his prowess, and he, he's been sneaky, just consistent and, and very strong. I think I think um, a lot going in that manner in a different price range of what we have seen him too. He, he was the only person I ever made a bet on to make the Ryder Cup team, and clearly <laughs> he didn't play out. But like he was fourteen yeah. to one, like I think the week before he won. So um, look, I believe a lot in his talent. I think that he's been able to rededicate himself and get himself back into a really good mind space. Um, and yeah, we'll see what that leads to at the Irish Open, which has been good to him over the years. Yep, hundred percent. Okay, uh, next up, a guy that I was very close on. Um, Juice Luton, um, again, well, I think it's three top sevens in a row on the, the DP World Tour for him. 70 to one uh, ends up making your card and, and tell us why. Yeah, it's um, he, he didn't. He, he's had three top eights, hasn't he? But he had that okay. kind of little stretch in between with the Open and the Scottish where he wasn't great. And yeah. that's the slight concern, right? So he had the, the second at the BMW International Open, which I wouldn't necessarily peg him for as successful there. He was a 54-hole leader. Um, he was a 54-hole leader again at the British Masters. Very similar Sundays. I think he shot 74 on both of them, finished second and eighth. Uh, and then he was fifth last week um, at Crowns, but final round 65 this time uh, inside the top 12 going into the final day. So, again, the concern is, well, when he played the Open and the Scottish Open, he wasn't that great. But he had a couple of decent rounds in both of them, um, which was fine. He made the cut in both stronger fields. And again, just another person I trust to play well in Ireland. Um, and when you look at his iron play, it's been exceptional. Um, yes. Which is, you know, he actually, if you break it out to 15 weeks, just on raw data, he leads the field to Detroit's going to approach. Uh, he's yep. had four top seven um, performances in Detroit's going to approach, two more top 20s. And then in those open Scottish Opens, he's been kind of like 43rd and 51st. But I don't really mind. Like, he's not expected to do well in the Scottish Open and the, and the Open Championship, right? So, um, not too worried about that. You look at his kind of um, history in the Irish Open, he's got a ninth, a second, and an eleventh. Uh, so, happy with that. He's a 54-hole leader. 54-hole <laughs> leader again at the Irish Open where he shot a final round 74. We've seen a pattern with Joost Lawson. 74 must be the worst score uh, he likes to write down on the scorecard. But, um, yeah, I just, I just... This is probably a little bit of a placement play for me. Um, I think that it's you know, more each way value than it is a win. Uh, I would be slightly concerned. I think potentially he could be a 54 leader and shoot 74 and finish sixth. Um, but, you know, the upside is there. Like, we know he's actually a DP World Tour winner. We know he's comfortable in Ireland and he's hitting his irons really well. So, Joost Lausman for me at 71 was was great just behind uh, Olison at 66. Yep, absolutely. Can, can make a good argument. Um, I was excited when when your card showed up uh, and you were emphatic, um, even on Sunday, that this was going to be your bet of the week here yep. with Eddie Pepperell at 80 to 1. Um, <clears throat> Eddie played this event in 2016 in a year where miscuts and DQs were more frequent than top 10s and finished eighth at this event, um, never, never leaving the top 10 right? Just as steady Eddie as it could be. And he has shown himself after kind of, I would say, falling off a little bit of form, um, you know, leading into, I guess, you know, the Himmerlin British Masters Scottish coming back with a third place, 39th of the Czech Masters, which included incredible irons. And then last week, eighth place finish, which again, with very, very good iron play. 
Eddie comes to the mind always to me when it's a course that isn't going to be overpowered. It's something where you play from the fairway. You need accuracy. And I was kicking myself after seeing him play so well early on in the week, thinking, man, you saw the spike at the Checkmasters. Omega made so much sense. We're getting a chance again at another good number here. Well, look, I, I said last week that Eddie Pepper should be good here and hasn't, and that's why I didn't bet him. Like, then maybe there's just something he can't get his head around the course, and he got it. Like, he got his head around it, and I think that in itself is enough reason. Like, he's clearly playing so well now that any inhibitions he had about courses he's not played well at in the past, he can get over. Uh, when he was eighth here in 2016, it was a year after he lost in a playoff to Soren Kilds in the Royal County Down. Um, so he just loves the Irish Open. The fact that he was eighth last week, and the fact that he's been what, eighth, fourth, and fifth, his last three weeks in strokes can approach first and fifth before that when he's made the weekend. His iron play is just exceptional. We know the issue with Eddie Pepper is off the driver. It has been for a number of years, but second, fourth, and eighth in the Irish Open in the past. Um, in good form, in good spirits. Um, he's tweeting again, which is always a good sign for Eddie Pepper. Um, yeah, I, I think this has come at the perfect time for him. It's a good two-week stretch for him at, uh, at the Irish and in Wentworth. Yeah, 100%. And I, I included, I think there might be hundreds out there um, that didn't have the, the places with them yeah. on Eddie. Um, again, prioritizing for me, so I'm happy with the 80s there um, with it. And we enter triple digits. Tom, you actually have the longest guy on your which card. Is, of the week, which, which is I'm so impressed on. Yeah. So impressed. And I held up. I typed in a thousand to one. I'll mention his name. I'm not going to bet him. Um, yeah, I'm but, surprised uh, your one isn't as big as mine. That like that doesn't fill me with confidence. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I'm surprised your long shot isn't as big as mine, but we'll we'll see what happens at the end of the week. For sure. So uh, a duet of golfers that are coming, you know, on a on a weekly basis right now for us. One, I mean, if there's any golfer that shoots a 63 and a 61 in in one week, and mm. then opens up triple digits the next week, Tom, everybody's running to the podium to bet that guy. And I've already seen it on multiple betting cards this week, right? It, it just makes sense. It, and when that guy is Guido Migliazzi, I mean, I mean, it's that's a double, you, triple like, hammer, you yeah. know? Like, I, I, uh, he was so impressive. Like, oh I, I, I think, yeah, like, it's funny because actually when you listen back, they were showing some of the old um, footage of when Donald first took the kind of uh, Ryder Cup captaincy and, um, what it meant to him, and he referenced Guido. Like he was very much on his radar. Obviously, that kind of played out when he started the season poorly. But I think you kind of alluded to the fact that there was maybe some distractions that that kind of led to that, right? Um, two missed cuts in the Irish Open so far, but we know he's this kind of mercurial talent that can just build off good weeks, right? And the the the, the you know, like you say, sixty-one and sixty-three is just wild. And and to do it when actually not everyone was shooting that low was was really impressive. And I think that's what Guido does is he goes and shoots the score that people don't think's out there, um, and that's the kind of biggest asset he's got. The the problem he's got at the moment is he can't do it for four rounds. But um, if he was doing it for four rounds, it'd be forty to one. So we're, yeah. you know, we're, that's the what you're taking is looking at the kind of round by round stuff, like a sixty one and a sixty three. What does that count against the kind of seventy two and seventy one that um, you know let him down? I guess. Yeah, if he, if he shoots field average on that day, it's 19 under. And that's, you know, tied with, with Aber, right? Like, that's that's in the cards. And his his Thursday was awful. He could not hit a green to save his life. And the rest, even his Saturday, which wasn't good, he still hit better irons. It was very good progressive iron play. Ended up gaining strokes in all four categories. And like I said last week, I mean, he, he has had a consistent stretch of golf where he has yet to 
since the Porsche European Open miss a cut, um, include a really good play at the British Masters outside of Sunday, you know, BMW International. So Guido has definitely turned a corner overall. Um, so excited for him and at the, at the hundreds, more than happy to take it. Um, the only thing that hurt worse um, two weeks ago um, than not having Sean Crocker on the betting card would be if we didn't bet him this week and he won. For those that didn't see the story, Sean Crocker withdrew when everybody and his brother was on him um, at the, it wasn't the ISPS, was it? Was it the, it was the ISPS. It was no, it's two check weeks. no, it's check mouse. Oh, check, check. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where everybody was on him in a big number withdraws because he pulled a DJ, which was fall down the stairs and hurt his shoulder. Um, I'm, all, think, I'm also not convinced by that. Well, it was, like, it was odd because he was at the he was at the truck like an hour before that, right? That's like, what's like, like you told me he withdrew, and I was like, well, he's like looking at putters. Like what? what? Yeah. So I guess it probably is right. Like he probably fell out of the the truck steps. <laughs> like. Um, but yeah, no, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. So, so he says precautionary withdrawals from this past week and yeah. that the the check. And what's that interesting, though, he, he's been posting that he's been out on the golf course and then this morning said, first time in like my career that I'm the first guy on the range. Um, so I think he's antsy to get back to playing. If you remember when we bet him at the Barracuda, still mad he should have won that event he played really really well outside of one day um treading irons popping you know a lot of signs for us after we were very early kind of on his renaissance back to some decent play um so just just do, do not want that to forget comment is actually you know when someone thinks they're saying something positive you know when he says first time in my career i'm the first one on the range and he thinks that shows how hard he's working does that not say for 20 years you've never been working that hard? I mean, yeah. In some and, point, in some and point, unless, right? unless he's like been second and third on the range every time and it's just that he literally said this is the first time I've been number one. Like, I don't know, but like, you know, sometimes yeah. people give themselves a pat on the back and I'm like, well, that doesn't sound good for you. Um, and first I think time in seven years, I'm first on a range on a Monday. You think I'm excited to be back is what it said. Yeah. Yeah, like I think that's not like you should probably be on first in the range more often, especially when you're not playing very well. Um, like I wonder if something like he does look like the type that there is a little bit of lack of commitment sometimes. Like I think he enjoys life. I think he definitely enjoyed life after he won. Um, and I don't hate that. Like I think that's why yeah. you get these hundred and hundred fifty to one numbers about Sean Crocker. Um, if he dedicates himself to the game, which I think he will at some point, I think he's this twenty eight to one, thirty to one goal for every week, which is why we like him so much. Oh, absolutely. I'm super excited um, for him uh, this week. Last uh, 150 to one for Crocker. And then the next pick here again with the six places, there's 200 on both these guys, um, but I prefer getting the extra one. Uh, it's Sebastian Soderbergh. So a frequent, I think, conversationalist on betting cards trying to catch the Soderbergh week. I've never really looked to nail him. I, I haven't had any success in that, but what I thought was, um, Incredibly interesting if you look through his numbers, right? A former winner at Omega, 24th last week. I believe he was second in ball striking in total. Um, I know this just because our friend Ryan Bearoff just loves to sweat Soderbergh. Um, and when you looked through his tee to green round, what was interesting? So if you are... I've got, I've got him as fifth. Uh, okay, so fifth. fifth. So still great. I'm just, sorry to keep interrupting, but I'm just like, no. I'm just reading as we're going along. Um, right. I, I think, I think that's an important distinguish, yeah. distinguishing. 
can't say that right. Um, but overall, and if you look at him from the week, 24th place finish, and then you look at how good he was gaining strokes off the tee, how good he was gaining strokes approach, right? It was a very, very solid week overall from the ball striking standpoint. You go through it, he had three balls out of bounds in the week. So to have those numbers while putting two balls out of play on the sixth hole, which is the easiest hole on the golf course, right? So to have that, and then I think he put a par three in the water when he tripled on like Friday. I just think the tea leaves of how good that iron play must have been is, you know, incredible. I mean, 365, you know, giving us the, also last week, there had to be an issue with some of those people that were inputting the short putts because there was so many two-footers missed. I remember watching Fitzpatrick and he was like, oh, he's hit to four feet, like three feet or something. And all of a sudden it went, oh no, he's seven feet away. I was like, oh good. Like you've obviously tracked the wrong ball. Um, So yeah, people weren't weren't hot in crowns. No, but there were so many missed shorties. But I just just think enough. I mean, Soderbergh has been, you know, somebody who, you know, 10th of the Barracuda, I think he was 13th with stroke play. That Italian Open was ninth. You know, he, he had a second earlier in the year. Like, it is somebody where he finds a leaderboard every so often. Um, and I think continuing a ball striking like that will be difficult to follow. Yeah. But at 150 to one, uh, I like the chances. Yeah, and I think like when his greens and regulation is what let him down on the ball striking department. And you've explained why it's because he's put a couple of out of bounds. And like, I guess with the when the strokes and approach number is still so high and the greens and regulation is lower. I envision something like Kranz where he's trying to attack that pin and he's three inches off on the fringe. It's not a green regulation, but it's actually the right play. So, like, those things are definitely things you can get. Whereas, like, um, Ollison hit every green, but he might be 50 yards, like 50 feet away. So, like, it's always important to get context right, and you've, you've added it there, which I think is great. Um, just a little bit of extra context for sort of which I, I think actually, you know, helps. Um when he was 41st in the Irish Open on debut, he was actually 19th last round one and 12th last round two and just had a bit of a poor weekend. Same last year, fourth after round two, 19th after round three and fell away on the final day. So twice now he's gone into the Irish Open weekend with, you know, legitimate chances of contending 12th and fourth and, and kind of falling away 41st and 46th. But there's obviously something about these courses and these type of events that suggests that Soderbergh can play well and, you know, building that off a really positive uh, iron week, great. Yep, absolutely. Um, I'll go right into my last one then, because again, you were the longest guy this week. Um, I am betting Connor Purcell. So Connor Purcell, um, he's a challenge tour regular. I think he's popped up and down for a couple starts. He actually was seventh at the Australian Open earlier this year. Gets about one DP World Tour uh, start a year. He was cutting his teeth a little bit on the Mena Golf Tour as well as uh, the Nordic Golf League he's played in. He's played on the Alps Tour and done well and competed. And this is um, his second season now with a full DP World Tour card, which started with seventh and sixth in South Africa. And then last uh, two two events ago, um, he had his best finish of the year, which was a second at the Dormy Open. Um, so if you look at Connor Purcell, uh, 26-year-old Irishman, um, Purcell, I guess this course, I guess this course in, in particular isn't one that's really been seen in 
what now seven years right of, of play overall um and there was a challenge tour event two years ago yeah it was two year. years ago uh, last year yeah on the palmer south course right yeah. at the k club so um when you think of that um purcell was fifth in that event i do believe yep. um todd clements was your winner you saw guys um like tom kimmon uh alejandro del rey uh, who else was up there tom there was so, so clements beat mckibbin who then John Murphy was just behind yes. him, Matteo Manassero fifth, Del Rey fifth, Dion Germache fifth. So it's yeah. it's a leaderboard that's actually um, aged really well. John Wonko and Adrian Sadier just behind those as well. So I think as much as it is the other course, it's, it's a positive. And, and obviously you're going to go into another reason why as well. Yeah, if you look into extrapolating out Purcell's form. His last round was a 62 there. He was um, the 54-hole leader at the uh, – which one was it? He finished 18th. I think it was at the Irish Open next year, the Irish Challenge. Yeah, 54-hole leader there. Um, he's just been spiking for about three or four weeks now. And then in full research trying to find K-Club kind of correlation, there was a modest golf event in 2020 played at the Palmer South course, um, North or whichever course. North course, yep. Palmer North, the one this week yep. that Purcell did win. So the last professional event that I could play found at this event uh, and that, um, you know, had a decent field of, of like McKibben. Uh, I mean, it wasn't like it was a one round event. It wasn't anything big, but yeah. Looking into here and then what he's doing now, what he did in the challenge tour, 500s are available, uh, even 600s are out there, but 500 with a six place each way. I'm going to you know, bring that out to a top 20. This is kind of my angle. And normally when I find guys like this, I'm rarely seeing the spike in recent form in combination to some type of history, right? And on a, on a tour like the challenge tour, um, you know, sometimes it might even be lower to that. So I really like the 500s there with Purcell. Yeah, normally when you're talking to me about 500s, 700s, 700s golfers, you'll tell me about someone that's just, you know, just come out of the womb and, and like is, you know, warming up on the Czechoslovakian minor tour, right? Like this is actually a legitimate golfer who is second in his last, you know, Challenge Tour event, 17th for the British Challenge, 18th for the Irish Challenge. We talked about the fact that he was fifth on the South course last year. And you told me about a course where he's won as a professional um, at, at an event on this course. Then you look at the fact that actually the start of the season or the end of last year was really good, seventh, seventh, sixth. Like it's been a sustained period of form. Like this isn't just someone that's you know um, coming out of nowhere, right? So yep. I, th I think it's one of those ones where I think in the past we've had these events like the ISPS Handle where we've gone right, but there's not a big golfing quality. Like they can really contend. This is obviously very different, but that's why I think. I think if it, what would he have been in the ISPS hander like hundreds of one, probably. Like, yeah. so it's a it's a completely different event, right? So I, I don't hate the idea of taking five hundred one with places, thinking that there's going to be a, a strange, um, you know, finisher on the leaderboard. Like, they were more experienced players that did it in 2016, but you had some strange names. I mean, Bradley Dredge actually, I think, um, contended maybe won the Irish Open the year before, whatever. But you had Sebastian Gross in 10th. Maximilian Kiefer was 5th, who wasn't really what Kiefer has been this year. Gregory Bordy, 10th. Ricard Karlberg, 10th. Um, Richard Sterney, 10th. So you get these... Matthew Southgate was 4th. Um, and it's not, you know, not a Lynx test, if you like. So 
you do get the, the you know the strange results and look i think the upside's probably more a top 20 or whatever and like you say you're probably going to play down those sort of things but it's definitely an interesting name and certainly one you'll discuss i think tomorrow yeah yeah i think we'll probably get a really good dfs price when we look into him um and your guy here uh at 750 to one he's double the age per cell i think so uh you go with the old timers at the at the long numbers yeah so i've actually got a pretty old card this week with, with lawson in there as well um Soren Kjeldsen, look, full disclosure, I don't think he can win. Um, I think that's that's the first thing I will say. Last professional win for Soren Kjeldsen, Sky? Uh, let's think. Man, it had to be maybe the Irish Open. <laughs> the Irish Open in 2015, yeah. right? So right. that's always a positive. And when you actually look at his form, like it's, it's been solid, like fifth at the Scandinavian Mixed, 24th at Himalayan. 50th wasn't great at Czech Masters, but it's a massive golf course for him. 13th last week, where he opened 66 and short weekend 65s. Stroke's game approach numbers have been insane. Like for yeah. someone of his like level at the moment, like 10th, 11th, 22nd, 7th, 15th, 47th. Like, um, sorry, 24th, 21st, 15th, 47th is definitely not him. Um, 10th, 11th, 22nd, 7th, 24th, 21st. That's really solid. And then yeah. what, I, what I liked as well is you're not as you've mentioned, you have to go back to 2016 for the last time someone actually um, played this event. There's not many people that have played it multiple times or the, the course multiple times. Kelton has. Um, yeah. yeah. 16th and 19th as well. So I think sneakily, he was only a couple of places off the top 10 here in 2016. I don't think it's like too much to ask for him to get inside the top 10. Yeah. His biggest two events um, this year really have come at courses where we we knowingly are going to take the driver out of the hand a fifth at the scandinavian mix a 13th at the omega um so when you get this it reminds me except it's factual numbers of uh rafael jacqueline when we bet him right at the british masters last year i think it was and he came out and was like holding wedge shots um after his irons were spiking um so i think that's the only time i've bet a guy that old at those odds before <laughs> Yeah, like I, I could definitely see a way where he comes out at like a 65, 64 on Thursday. Everyone goes, oh my yep. God, Soren Kelson's rolling back the years, showing the young people how to do it, and then yep. shoot 70, 71, 72, finish 47th. But I, like just looking at the data and, and the fact that he's played so well for a decent period of time and has more course experience maybe than anyone but Podrick Aronson. Um, well, he's played the same amount of times as Podrick Aronson. Podrick Aronson just have better course form. Um, yep. I'm pretty happy to take him at like... What is it, 751 you said to me? Yeah, so, 750s. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to take a chance on someone like Simon Kelton. Awesome. Um, two guys that I'm going to round us out with, not on betting cards, but um, I will be talked tomorrow too. But for those that maybe only listen to the DFS preview and you're looking for, or, or only the betting preview and looking for potentially uh, make the cut or top 40s, um, two guys from the Walker Cup are making their professional debuts this week. Uh, first being Irish uh, kid Mark Power. Mark Power, um, last ranking um, in the Wagger rankings was 98th. Uh, we've seen him, um, I think he won an event early on in the year. Yeah, Battle of the Briars Creek. His only top 10, he did make the cut at the Irish Challenge and the Challenge Tour start um, the year before. Really hasn't kicked on all that much. Was decent in the Walker Cup overall. Um, somebody... When you get the Irish angle, you saw actually him come in lower odds than John Go. Um, I think it's Go or Go. I was trying to listen. Goff. Uh, Goff. That's what it is. Yeah. John Goff. Um, 
So Goff um, is the one that I was looking very into. He won the Australian, Australian Master of the Amateurs, which is normally like one of the more telling um, Auster, uh, events overall um, in amateur golf. We've seen some really big names win that. David Michaluzzi, Aaron Wise, uh, Saeed Tagala, Chanan Yu. Um, just some really, really big names overall have won that event. So I think that's one, a telling sign. He then also won, um, I think it was the Irish Amateur earlier this year. Um, and then um, in addition to that, he he made the cut at the Belfry, finished 39th at the British Masters, uh, was not that good at the Irish Challenge or the U.S. Amateur. Um, but... Yeah, he missed the cut. He was, he was pretty bad at the amateur event. But I think overall, his success in kind of this area of the world has been really big. He won the Lytham Trophy as well. Um, the year before, Scottish Men's Open Championship was second. Uh, I just think he had a really strong pedigree of golf over here. And then there wasn't that many odds around the Walker Cup last week. But the one book um, offshore that posted odds had him the clear favorite for the highest scorer last week on the GBNI team, um, which, you know, that's a pretty, you know, studded team. I think he was four to one. Um, I had tweeted that out last week. Do you know the Walker Cup when they pick singles? Is it like they throw a name out and then they pick the guy to match them? Or do they throw in, again, I, I don't expect you to know, but I was no, just trying to no, think not, this. No, I've never really thought about that. I didn't, didn't watch this weekend. That um, sounds like something that would be true, though. Well, because I only ask because he got sent out against Sargent on Sunday. Um, he played all four matches, um, did really well. He lost to Sargent, one up on the 18th. Um, and I, I think he was the clear one. He got thrown out first on the doubles, too, um, and played against Sargent there, too. And Sargent was the clear best guy in the U.S. this week. Um, so to me, I think... Uh, Go how am I how am I Goff. Goff. John Goff. Yeah. I think he's the one and hopefully on DFS we get a good price because I'm really excited about him this week. He was as long as fifteen to hundred to one on uh early this week. It's it's down to like thousands with the places. Um so I think in a top forty is only like three to one over here right now. If there, if a better top forty comes out, I might jump onto that. Yeah, the only reason I noticed Goff is because he'd played like one strokes gained metric like event. And he was 15th in approach that week. And that was that British Masters where his third going into the weekend. So that really caught my eye. And I love all the context you just added to that. He so, was third going into the weekend there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, so I, he, he, he took the lead at one point. Now I'm putting these things. That was John Goff, wasn't it? Yeah. So he was he was third after round one, third after round two. And then he shot 76 on Saturday. So are you going to bet him? Like, is, this is, you said I you had one space to. on your card. And, and it's going to be, who did you say earlier? Well, I thought it might be Billy Horschel, but yeah, no, yeah, who cares about Horschel? Let's put John Goff on there. Like, yeah, you're right. He he was the guy that took the lead on Friday. I remember the amateur bear off was like, this amateur is taking the lead, and you didn't bet him. I was like, you know, heartbroken. And this is Goff, right? I mean, he, I don't have, they don't show you like anything from like, uh, you know, in the, I think they only play four sums um, in Walker Cup, so they don't like show you who scored each you know, shot or anything, but he was their clear top guy. He's won in Ireland before. I, I mean, I think a thousands. Yeah. For who are in time. Yeah. Like he's 24 as well. And like you say, he was ranked 14th. He was, he was by far their 
most accomplished player. Like he was the only one that would actually get in on like merit on the US team. Like everyone else was yeah. kind of struggling. Right? So um, I know Barclay Brown was was popular based on kind of open championship stuff as well. But yeah, yeah, there there was four matches of foursomes um, and eight singles on in the afternoon, and then Sunday was four matches of foursomes and ten singles in the afternoon. So um, you're right, it's only foursomes. But yeah. Like if you get chucked out with Gordon Sargent and you only lose one up, that's um not much to be sniffed at. I mean, Sargent, what did he win every match? I was workshopping a take that you know the U.S. team needed to take Gordon Sargent since you know Aberg got picked. Like maybe I, I think I would honestly take Sargent over JT <laughs> right now if I was. That doesn't that doesn't bode very well for like Larry was more egregious pick than JT. Uh, but um Fair. yeah um yeah I mean Goff's in right. Yeah, golf, golf has to be in, absolutely. Okay. Uh, but let's uh, let's leave some room to discuss uh, some of the guys yeah, tomorrow, uh, Bear Off and Axis. Um, let's review our betting cards and we'll get out here. Yeah, so for me, it's Adrian Moronk at 28 to 1 with the each way. Theorpion Ollison, 66 to 1 with the each way. Yost Loughton, 70 to 1 each way. Eddie Pepperell, 80 to 1 each way. And Soren Kjeldsen at 750. Was that on the each way as well, Sky, or was that just outright? Um, I believe I included, let's see, that was the outright because the one that had only four places must have got your tip or, or six places must have got your tip early because that was down to 200 in the state. No, there so, you go. They're already uh, running scared of Soren Kelson in the places. So, um, yeah, you're going to have to go full full win on Soren Kelson. Yeah. So let me double check here as we talk. Um, so make sure prices continue here for us. I think everything aligns still. Yep. So we are good to go. Okay, so we'll start with um, again all with six places. Alex Patrick fifty-five to one. Eddie Pepperell eighty to one. Guido Migliazzi hundred to one. Sean Crocker one fifty. Sebastian Soderberg one fifty. Connor Purcell five hundred to one. I'm going to get the top ten in addition to that six way each way plus the top twenty on him, and then John Goff thousand to one. Man, that makes my heart feel good. And I couldn't let you have the deepest guy of the week. With um, the six places there, top 10 and top 20 on golf, you can probably wait to see um, as well if you get a juicy top 42 um, for, for golf. Um, let's have him, you know, take down Rory this week in kind of a big, you know, Irish Open victory for the kid just turning pro. I mean, an amateur just won on their first start, you know, on the LPGA. Uh, He's no Rose Zhang, but, you know, uh, maybe make that corollary. Larry did it. Yeah. Larry won the Irish Open as an amateur. So why can't John golf? Yeah, I mean, the stories, they're being written already, Tom, you know? <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Has, well, has, has, has Goff turned pro this week, though? Yeah, I, I looked. Um, they, I think they list him as amateurs, but in the entry list, they're, him and Power are both listed as professional tournament invitations and not under the amateur. Okay. So I think most of them wait for the Walker Cup, and then they turn pro. Okay. So he's not going to do the Shane Lowry, but... It's, yeah, he's going to keep his money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so perfect. Well, cool. Uh, long show, Ryder Cup talk, Irish Open talk, betting side, big cards this week, uh, but really excited uh, for what's ahead these next few weeks leading into the Ryder Cup. Um, so appreciate you as always, Tom, um, and best of luck, everybody. And you can catch us on the DFS show uh, tomorrow, myself, Bear Off, and, and Axis, and that'll be up tomorrow evening. So thank you again, Tom. Yeah, thank you, Sky, and enjoy the, the podcast tomorrow. Looking forward to listening to you guys talk DFS and uh, really extend the conversation on the Irish Open. Yep. All right, boys. Take care. Good luck.